0: Don uh is not with us tonight. Uh he, uh he is he's doing much better. Uh his wife is still recovering, so we want to pray for them. But also Miriam and Pepe who are ordinarily here with us on Thursday evenings. Um if you were here Sunday, uh, you know that uh, Pepe was uh experiencing um something rather unusual with his sight. Uh they had returned from India and I think he had had an eye exam or something of that sort and they had dilated his pupils and uh, he was seeing bright lights from that point forward and and, uh, his vision was beginning to dim and uh, they went to the ER Sunday morning uh, after the service and they discovered a mass in his brain, a tumor, and uh, they took him off of uh, some medications that he's taking in order to perform surgery later this week which which occurred this morning. They removed the tumor. Um, as, as I understand it, they feel confident they removed the entire tumor. And he's speaking and uh, has all of his motor functions. Um, his vision, I, I I don't know that um, that's improved yet, um, but they're still swelling in the brain, I would imagine, from the surgery. <coughs> and they, um, uh, they hope to move him to a private room uh, tomorrow. They were going to do that this evening, but there are, um, persistent fluctuations in his blood pressure, so they're keeping him in ICU. Is that correct tonight? And and they want him to be home by Christmas. And uh, as, I, as I understand it, Pepe's been a wonderful spirit the whole time, very peaceful and, and um, trusting in the Lord. And the family has as well. It's been a, a challenge for them. So we want to lift them in prayer tonight and also Don and his wife. Um, our approach to these situations, of course, we're we're all concerned. Uh, we love them uh, dearly, but uh, I, I want to make certain that we're looking uh, to the Lord for not simply comfort for everyone, but for His His power to be revealed even more fully than it has been. I, I'm certain that's God's will, and I'd I'd like us to join together and pray to that end tonight. All right, Father. We are so grateful for your, your love. You refuse to be indifferent to us. You you are so intimately engaged in our lives. Uh, not lingering at the periphery of our lives, Lord, but you, you want to thrust yourself into the center of our daily experiences, and you only wait for us to open the door. I pray that uh, Don and uh, what is his wife's name? Jeanette. That Don and Jeanette would experience tonight um, a very real sense of your presence. Ministering to their heart's peace. Comfort, Lord. Rest and quietness. And that your joy would fill that space, Lord, where they live. And with it, hope, Lord. And expectation of good things to come. Minister your power and life into their bodies, we pray in Jesus' name. Let healing and complete recovery be swift. Let them be full of your life, Lord, and strength in Jesus' name. And we pray for Pepe, Lord, and Miriam, and and the whole family, that you would right now minister the peace and the comfort of your very presence. Let it be so real now, Lord, invading the space of that hospital room. I pray that it pervades every corner of it. thank you for converting that that common space Lord into a place that's holy now and sacred because you're filling it I pray that your comfort and peace brings rest to everyone to Pepe and to Miriam and to the children Lord to the whole family and Lord we pray for A greater revelation of Jesus Christ as healer who has carried away our sicknesses and borne them away and in their place, Lord, made available to us life, health and wholeness. I pray that that revelation works its way deeply into their mind, into their hearts, Lord, and kindles an even greater faith and confidence. We pray that a miracle continues to work in his body, Lord, to make Pepe whole, to glorify you in all your goodness, Lord, and to strengthen him, Lord, and bless him with long life, length of days, Lord, during which he may continue to do good. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just keep them lifted up and and continue to give God thanks for the good thing that he's doing there. Um, did I miss any announcements? Did I miss any announcements? Or No? Good evening. Well, um, we're going to begin. We're transitioning out of the parable of the sower. Uh, that uh, I call it the parable of the sower series or the infinite series. <laughs> that's stretched on for so long. Um, but we're transitioning to uh, a series on the Holy Spirit, and in order to to close out entirely the parable of the sower, we're going to begin making that transition tonight, and then we'll begin exploring these things a bit more fully in the weeks to come, and I'm I'm enthused about this, Um, and I, I I really do believe that it, it will make a, a wonderful difference. I want us to, before we begin, though, I'd like you to turn with me to James, the fourth chapter. Let's read uh, verse 8. You're familiar with it, but I, I'd like you to just, just to, to look at it in Scripture and follow me as I read it. James 4, verse 8. Father, thank you for your presence here tonight, the ministry of your Holy Spirit. We pray, cause your word to Come alive to us. We want to experience you, Jesus. We want to learn of you. But we want to experience you. We want to encounter you tonight. We want to experience your joy, your love, Lord. And leave here having been touched by your presence. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. James 4, verse 8. Draw near to God and he. Will draw near to you. That's a wonderful verse of scripture. I think of the prodigal son when I read this verse of scripture, inasmuch as the the um, the father had scanned the horizon. I'm sure, morning, noon, and night, waiting to catch a glimpse of his returning son. He hoped so fervently he would return, and finally. At some point, he saw his figure appear on the horizon. And the son was full of shame and full of regret. And uh, I'm sure was hopeful that his father would receive him back into his home. I think he also knew something about the nature of his father. And he, and he he had a certain confidence that he would or he would have never made the journey. But how heartening it must have been to see his father racing toward him to uh, make the distance shorter between the two, and then to throw his arms around him and embrace him with the deepest and most unqualified of love. When we draw near to God, I think he races toward us. Over the last several weeks, we, I, I've repeated the notion that God is... He respects and protects our, our autonomy. He will not, he cannot violate it. If he did, it would irreparably alter the unique relationship that man has with God and our very nature. And I, I think fellowship as God has intended it would no longer be possible. But God is not lingering around the edges of our lives indifferent to our circumstances, indifferent to our needs, or indifferent to us. He created us and longs for fellowship with us, And so when we draw near to him, I think he draws near to us with a, with a furious love, with a passionate desire to fellowship with us, to embrace us. And as we work, work through this tonight, um, I want you to bear that in mind. We don't cultivate a rich devotional life. We don't spend time in the Word. We don't collect together uh, at church like this or on, uh, on, on Sundays to satisfy um, some sense of religious obligation. I hope that we do it because uh, we've discovered, yes, it's value, um, but also it's great joy. I wake up in the mornings and I... Um, you know, I brush my teeth. I can't say that when I wake up, I pop up out of bed and I think, oh, it's another wonderful morning in which I get to brush my teeth and run into the bathroom and brush my teeth. I, don't, I brush my teeth because I have to. It's a priority. I have to do it. If I don't, well, m- my teeth uh, won't, won't uh, be around much longer. <laughs> I also have very bad breath, and it's unsightly. I do it because I have to. It's a priority. But I eat. I drink coffee in the morning, and I eat in the morning. And I do wake up with a wonderful anticipation of having a cup of coffee. I remember when I was younger, uh, hearing the ditty, uh, I don't recall which coffee maker, the best part of waking up Folgers is Folgers in your cup. I use an entirely different brand. but I used to think, what a sad life. (laughs) However, as the years (laughs) have continued, I must say, I will lay in bed and suddenly think, the coffee maker grinds the beans and drops them into the little basket and uh, starts to percolate at a set time. And I'll wake up and think, waiting for me. (laughs) Uh, It's not the best part of waking up, but it is a wonderful part of waking up. I look forward to that first cup of coffee. I look forward to breakfast. I don't do it because I have to, because it's a priority. I really enjoy it. And I think Once we really discover the passion of God for us, we love him because he first loved us. It really is reciprocal. Uh, It awakens something within us. And uh, I think when we are able to grasp that more fully, we want to read the word not to satisfy uh, some religious obligation. We want to collect together with God's people to hear His word and experience His presence together because we so yearn for it. We really, it's a priority, but it's a priority because we enjoy it so. It's like eating, it's like drinking. Um, And so, (laughs) coffee and water, non alcoholic (laughs) beverages. We really yearn to drink and to eat, and I want to feed on him, feed on his word, and enjoy his presence in the company of his people. Uh, So, you know, as we work through this again tonight, I want you to bear that in mind. We are turning to the word in order to draw near to him. These simple little acts of devotion, I'm convinced that simply by turning our thoughts toward him during the day... An act as simple as turning my thoughts toward Him finds God rushing in to fill my life and the space around my life. As I'm spending time in His Word, I'm spending time with Him. Not in some abstract way, but literally, I am fellowshipping with uh, the God of the universe. And I, I think I said this last week or no, not last week. I was, I was not here. Um, week before last. Uh, the picture of Jesus uh, in, in Revelation 3.20 is shocking to me, almost scandalous. The creator of heaven and earth, this awesome, almighty, almost incomprehensible figure of power and might is humbly and meekly standing at the doors of our heart and gently Rapping. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Revelation 3.20 If you will open the door, if you will open the door, I will come in. And I will sup with you and you with me. Isn't that amazing? We're not crawling on our knees till they're bloodied, groping our way up a mountain to find God. He's, he's already cut the distance. Not in half. He's standing at our door. And, and gently knocking. He's not saying, Larry, I know you're in there. Open the darn door, or I'm going to kick it in. He could. In fact, he, didn't, he wouldn't even need to announce. He could just part the ceiling and say, I'm here. I'm God, and you're not. But, but he's he just humbly and meekly. That's somebody who really wants to hang out with us. So we're we're doing these things to answer that gentle rapping at the door, and as we do, uh, we should expect just rich, wonderful, joyful fellowship with God. Okay. um, Mark the fourth chapter. We're we're closing. Don't don't be frightened. We're we're leaving that quickly. Um, Mark four twenty was that uh, final. and I, I know we covered this uh, several weeks ago, but there was a break. This is, I, I, I want to make this transition smoothly into the, this series on the Holy Spirit. Mark 4, 20. And, the, and those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil, and they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirty, sixty, and a hundred, uh, and a hundredfold. They hear the word. Now, recall this is a different. Uh, the word uh, translated here, word in the Greek, occurs uh, as a different verb form from the first three that that we find in the other types of soil. Um, they. They occur in the aorist tense, which simply, it's past tense, and it it suggests a casual listener. It it is a single, um, simple, final event. But here, as it occurs in verse 20, suggests a continual, ongoing, and persistent effort in hearing. It's someone who is going to the word again, and again, and again, and again, persistently. Remember John eight thirty one. 31, Jesus said simply, continue ye in my word. Then are you taught of me, then are you my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So it's this sort of a hearer. But there is, hearing is occurring here on at least two levels, of uh, Let's look at verses 23 through 25. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Sam, do you have these appendages attached to the side of your head? So you qualify. No, that's not really what Jesus is referring to. Because I can't imagine that there was a host of disfigured people that had collected together in his audience that day. And there were only a few that actually had these appendages. He's talking about an ability to hear the Spirit of God speaking to us. And yet, we do need to hear with these ears. There are two levels of hearing. Tonight, you're hearing me. And yet, John said something curious in his epistle. He said, you have need that no one teach you. Because the Holy Spirit will be your teacher. Now, it would seem to suggest that what I'm doing tonight is futile, or at least unnecessary. Why are you even here if teachers are unnecessary? That wasn't obviously that wasn't what he was saying. In fact, he was teaching them in this letter they were reading. He was suggesting that the Holy Spirit occupies the uh, the unique role of revealing to us the object of these teachings, and that is Jesus Christ. And He alone can achieve that. Look with me at, uh, and I know we're revisiting some of this, but look with me at uh, Matthew 16, please. Keep keep your place there, I'm sorry, in Mark 4, and turn with me to Matthew 16. We'll, We'll return here in just a moment. Um, let's begin with verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now, I I just have a picture in my mind of the conversation as it unfolds. I see Jesus posing the question, and I see them rather quickly responding. Oh, yeah, We're we're very familiar with the scuttle, and they didn't say it, but I'm imagining that they've also been thinking these same thoughts about Jesus. And so they were very quick with an answer. Then he asked a more pointed question. Verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And it's I I imagine that silence suddenly fell over this small group that was uh, with Jesus. Because he was still an enigma to them. And then Peter says, and and again, Peter strikes me as an impulsive man. <laughs> do you remember when uh, Jesus uh, following his resurrection appeared to them on the shore they were fishing? And he called them to the shore. And uh, when, when they realized it was Jesus, what did Peter do? <laughs> he just jumped in. When they came to, uh, to uh, take uh, Christ away from them in the garden, Peter takes a sword and cuts off uh, uh, one of the guard's ears. Peter was very impulsive. And I just kind of have a feeling he blurts out, um, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Would you just say that aloud with me right now? Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. That's an extraordinary remark. Now, no one knew who Jesus was. He remained a mystery to them. They traveled with him. They, I'm sure they wondered uh, about who, who might he be. They had pinned their hopes on on. The fact that Jesus had presented himself as the Christ, the Messiah. And all of Israel was was longing for and awaiting the coming of the Messiah. But who was he? What was his essence? What was his nature? That was a real puzzle. And Peter declares it. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, wonderful. Wonderful you are blessed this revelation sets you apart and it was not revealed to you through flesh and blood suggesting not only did someone not um, take him aside and explain to him who Jesus was but it I, I think it also suggests that Peter did not arrive at this conclusion through the strength of his own intellect I don't think he was pondering uh, this question and then suddenly hit upon the truth and said, aha, of course, that's who he is. God revealed it to him. And that's the nature of spiritual truth. It's, it's amazing to me what can elude the natural mind as we work through Scripture. There are, there are New Testament scholars, New Testament scholars that are not born again. They reject the claims of Scripture. They reject the deity of Christ. And yet they know the Scriptures. The Pharisees and Sadducees, of course, did the very same thing, didn't they? The religious leaders of Jesus' day made it their business to study the Scriptures. They knew the prophecies. They knew what it foretold. And yet when God himself appeared in their midst, they rejected him denied Him, and sought to murder Him. You and I cannot hope to know God as He really is simply by studying Scripture. Do we need to study Scripture? Yes. Romans 12, too. we are counseled to renew our minds. To renew our minds, to be transformed through the renewing of our minds, that we might know what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. what happens when we spend time in, in the Word? What happens? let's say that um, let's say I can speak Spanish fluently. I can't. Um, but let's say that I could. Uh, do you speak Spanish? darn it.. Uh, <laughs> And you do too, of course. Let's say I speak French. Do you speak French? Oh gosh. Do you speak German? You're disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if I began to speak, I'm blank. If I began to speak to you in fluent German, you would you would say I hear Larry speaking. I hear the sound of his voice, but I have no idea what he's saying. How many languages do you speak, by the way? Oh, only four. What a slacker. (laughs) That's quite an achievement. Um, I I learned English. (laughs) I'm still working on that. Um, I was teaching a sermon, wasn't I? um, Oh, okay. So you can say, I, I hear the sound of Larry's voice, but I have no idea what he's saying. God is speaking to us constantly. I'm certain of it. But we, it's very difficult for us to not to hear it, but to distinguish its meaning. When we read the Word of God, we begin to learn the language of God. We begin thinking in terms that are consistent with God's ways consistent with his thoughts so that when he speaks, first of all, there's a rationale that can connect with it. I mean, imagine, imagine, it's extraordinary that Mary only asked uh, how when the angel appeared to her and explained to her, uh, you're you're going to uh, give birth to a son, and yet she wouldn't know a man that the Holy Spirit would, would somehow allow her to conceive and, and to uh, give birth to a son. But she somehow was able to accept that, not reject it out of hand. The Word of God prepares us to accept what God's saying even when it, it, um, it, it seems so preposterous. It attunes us to his voice. But, but the word of God, the written word, cannot take place. Take the place, rather, of the ministry of the Holy Spirit teaching us as he was sent to do. Causing the word to come alive to us. Revealing to us not merely the meaning of the written word. But the Logos behind it, Jesus, the living word and lead us into encounter with him. That is the purpose of God in Scripture is to lead us into encounter with himself. Not simply so that we can know about God, but so that we can know God. Uh, Let's go back to Mark four, verse twenty three. Beginning with verse twenty three. And and remember, as we hear God, literally the entire trajectory of our lives can be impacted. Where you uh, would have gone or could have gone can be completely uh, replaced by where God sends you. It is, uh, its impact, can be so extraordinary if if we allow it to work so in our lives. Mark 4, verse 23. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he was saying to them, Take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given you besides. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. Whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Now, I, I think this is illuminated a bit more for us in 1 Corinthians 2. Let's turn there. That's an interesting uh, series of remarks Jesus has made. What you have, for, for those of you who have, you've listened, you've embraced and received this word, more will be given. But from those of you who have not, even what you have will be taken away. Why, why is that? Now, I, I, we discuss this, but can anyone tell me tonight what... What is behind that remark? Even what you have will be taken away and and more besides. What happens when we hear the word? Jesus, Jesus begins the parable by issuing this warning. What happens immediately upon hearing the word? What? Well, it does, but something else happens. Remember, huh? That's right. Satan comes immediately. It it would be so nice if we had only to do with a good and loving God. But that's not the case. We live in a fallen world. And so we deal both with God and our adversary. And he comes immediately to steal away the word. Because the word alone has the power to transform our lives and to drive away the adversary. To undo his works and his burdens and to trample him beneath our feet. The word alone provides for that sort of power. So he wants to strip it away. He's terrified of the word. He wants to strip it away. And if he can't strip it away, then he wants to pervert its meaning. His very first course of action against Eve was to was to uh, turn the truth into a lie. Deny its authority, to deny its integrity, and finally to deny its place in her life. And, and he succeeded, and, and the fall occurred. Well, that same dynamic plays out in our lives each time uh, we stumble. That, that very same dynamic is at work. So he comes to steal away the word. But because he does it first through argument, just reason, uh, but, but if we hold fast to the word beyond that, we can experience an escalating series of assaults against our life. Not just against our reason, but against our lives. And, and so if we don't have at work within us that word to repulse that, to push back against it, to overcome it, then we can suffer real loss but if we will give ourselves over to this word embrace it receive it and then with humility persist in it acknowledging that we know just enough to know we don't know enough so it keeps us digging what is a uh, proverbs 3 5 and 6 uh, lean not to your own understanding but in all your ways Acknowledge him. That's how smart we need to be. We need to always be smart enough to realize we're just not smart enough. And we keep turning to him, turning to his word. Uh, James 1, uh, verse 21, we're commanded to receive with meekness the engrafted or implanted word which is able to save our souls. In 1 Corinthians 2. Oh dear. I'm very good at starting these messages. I have to become better at ending them. <laughs> um, all right, well let's uh, let's let's continue here. First Corinthians two. Uh, verse 6, yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. Now, he's addressing and, um, Bishop Kuykendall on Sunday, if, if you were not here, even if you were, you may want to listen to that message again. He deals uh, with uh, uh, the, uh, the issues that pride r- uh, really unleashed in the church at Corinth. And it's, it's, uh, do, do you all know that we have videos online of the services? Yeah, go to the church's website, standrews.org, or dot, is it dot org? Dot com, Saint dot com and <laughs> Yes, I tend here. <laughs> there's uh you'll see a menu uh and sermons. Sermons are available audio or video and then there's it's on uh the um it's an available as an iPod uh broadcast as well, but uh, last Sunday is, is up there, and you might want to listen to that, but, but Paul is, is saying, look, I, we do want to move beyond this. I, we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, spiritually mature, and, and who are developing spiritually. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. So this is a mystery. It's something hidden which Jesus addresses in the parable of the sower. But it is hidden only in order to be revealed. Revealed by his spirit to those who hunger and thirst after him. Not the casual listener. Or those who want to approach God casually and fit him into their agenda and their priorities but those who abandon all and follow him with their whole heart. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, All that God hath prepared for those who love Him. God loves you. He has prepared for you such extraordinary, such wonderful things. And He's done so lavishly. But we're unaware of them. In fact, it hasn't even entered our minds. Verse 10. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. That's how we come to know these things. That's how we become familiar with them, can appreciate them, recognize them. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by what? The Spirit combining spiritual thoughts With spiritual words but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised but he who is spiritual appraises all things yet he himself is appraised by no one for who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him but we have the mind of Christ Now remember, please, bear in mind, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. So he is suggesting that either one of these dynamics may be at work in the life of a believer. Not merely those apart from Christ, but those who are in Christ. There are carnal Christians, and there are spiritual Christians. And there's a mingling of both probably in all of our lives. How many of you want to be this spiritual man that paul is referring to here who is perceiving the voice of god who is hearing the holy spirit speak and the holy spirit does not speak of himself he has come to reveal to us jesus to introduce us uh, more intimately to him um we're going to talk about um uh, this uh And we're, we, we've all probably heard the term baptism. They were they they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. After, now, this was after they received. Do you recall when Jesus breathed upon them and said, "Receive ye the Spirit"? They received the Spirit. They were born again at that instant. But there is a suggestion suggestion that there is is um there is something more available to us, not. Simply, you and I having more of Him, though I do think we can, but Him having more of us. Baptism suggests a soaking. Like if I were to plunge a, 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 a rag into a vat of red dye and, and pulled it up and it was dripping with this red dye and it would eventually saturate this. rag. That's really what baptism is referring to. Just this saturation. I want to be saturated with the Holy Spirit. I want to be so infused with the presence of Jesus Christ that his presence and power becomes transformative in my life and allows me to become an agent for change and good in the world around me. We live in a world of extraordinary need. And uh, I, my heart breaks for the, need, for the needs that exist around us and for, for the pain and I want to come with more than a message though I do want to come with a message but I want to come with something of God's life and power that will allow God to be introduced into these situations in which there's so much pain that allows people to experience release relief, remedy healing because God loves them but also because in that instant, God is glorified. He makes himself known through those events. There's a world watching and waiting for a God like that to put in an appearance. And, and I, want to, I want to be one of those who allows him to reveal himself more fully uh, to a world that is watching and waiting for uh, um, the goodness of God. well let's let's turn to one final verse of scripture and and uh, we'll close with that ephesians the third chapter we will explore this at length in three weeks but i want you to begin a sort of pondering it read ephesians the first chapter particularly the prayer that paul prays for the church there but this is quite wonderful, really. Verse four, to Beginning with verse 14, Paul prays, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Paul is praying for these believers that they would be strengthened with power the power of God, through His Spirit, where? In the inner man. Revelation knowledge, these encounters with Jesus. I want you, I've stated it tonight, I want to say it directly now. Now, this is not predominantly or primarily an intellectual phenomenon. It is a spiritual phenomenon which does inform the intellect but it precedes that. It is a spiritual phenomenon. We are are energized. We become full of the life and the presence and power of God and the encounter informs our intellect. We are able to articulate, at least on some level, what we've experienced. It does translate into knowledge that we can communicate, at least on some level. But it is initially... And it it is primarily a spiritual experience and a spiritual phenomenon. And that's what Paul is driving at here. He is praying for these believers that they would um, have this encounter in which uh, they are strengthened with the power of God by His Spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints... What is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Isn't that extraordinary? Filled up with all the fullness of God. And what is the conclusion of that? Now unto him that is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I I want a prayer life like that. God, able to work abundantly beyond all I can ask or think because the power at work in me swings wide the door for God to do precisely that. But I want you to notice that he is praying that we would have a knowledge, or that we would know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. What does that mean? How can I know something that surpasses knowledge? While I was in China, I had some Chinese food to which I had never been exposed. Now, I could tell you about some of those foods. Some of them you wouldn't want to hear about. But I could tell you about some of the ones that I really enjoyed. I could talk to you about their texture, the taste, and after exhaustively explaining to you what it tasted like, what its texture was like, you still wouldn't really know what it tasted like, would you? You might have an approximate idea, but you would be relating what I am saying to you with your own experiences, and that would everything would be layered with your own experience. You wouldn't really know what it tasted like until you did what? Tasted it yourself. That's what Paul is referring to here: an experience that we have an experience with Christ, an encounter. We know His love, not theoretically but experientially. And that's what we're going to be working toward in these lessons over the next few weeks. So I, I'd like you to uh, just um, maybe ponder that over the next few weeks and, and we'll um, continue working through this. You've been very patient, thank you. Father, thank you for your, uh, your goodness, your kindness to us. And I, and I pray that by your Spirit, cause these truths to come alive to us Make yourself known to us, Lord Jesus, we yearn. To know you more intimately, we love you so much. But we know we can love you even more. To experience that joy, that pleasure. More fully make it so we pray in Jesus name amen well